Hey, hey Chandler, uh-huh. could you do me a favor and just yeah. shout into your microphone, go see Parasite, and that'll be the opening. I'll put that in the beginning. Go see Parasite. All right, go back to small talk. <laughs> small talk, like memories of murder coming out on Blu-ray and back to theaters. Yeah, I don't know. Just the we'll... best Bong Joon-ho movie that I feel like we're about to disagree on in the next few minutes. Chandler, I have been, I've been looking forward to this one more than anything else. I know you have. I, I I'm well aware, and not just, and not just for Parasite. Yeah. Also for Soy Cuba. Also for Soy Cuba. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get to that when we get to that. But should we just jump straight into Parasite? I feel like we've got a a, while, a long discussion before that. Okay. All right. I'm down. Well. I, I can cut this out if, if there is nothing, but I just had a, a quick question of uh-huh. if there – I'm pretty sure we both re, – we, we went to the theater and saw The Lighthouse again since we talked I about it. I have not seen it a second time. No, you didn't? No. I, I The night I was going to go see it again, I went and saw Parasite again instead. Ah. Okay. Well, I but saw I do it want to see it again before it comes out. Yes. All right. And how do you feel about it a second time? It got closer to almost getting five stars. Okay. But it didn't. And what's still holding it back? I don't know. It was interesting. The things, the pacing issues that I had before mm-hmm. disappeared. And then different pacing issues appeared. Like where? Not not like, like they were smaller issues. Just like little things that I think could have been chained or like cut or excess kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one thing that stuck out to me, and I I just forgot about this the first time I watched it, was when Willem Dafoe starts acting like a dog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like that. Oh, I love that. I, you know, I like like it's it's fun watching Willem Dafoe do it, but I'm not sure it didn't fit for me. I I don't know. I there's a lot of the things in the movies that on a on the like. A... On a plot level, I could be like, but really, I don't know about that. But the whole movie, to me, just felt like capturing their sort of power dynamic and psychological state of mind and th- how it deteriorates over time. So it was like one of those things that has such a strong premise to me personally that anything it does is automatically excused, as long as it's done well. And I don't care how uninteresting you might have found some parts, you cannot deny that Willem Dafoe is I didn't find, Willem I didn't Dafoe. find anything uninteresting. I just thought that it, it could have been trimmed a little, maybe. Okay. The flow was kind of near the ending, actually. It got a little disjointed for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I felt like they... They slowed it down in a few places when it, it could have kept just powering through to the end. And I think it would have been not more impactful, but just more kind of fluid of an experience. Well, I'm trying to I would like to argue, but I feel like this is one of those things that you really can't have a solid opinion on until you've seen it twice. Yeah, I'm not even sure I have a solid opinion on it. It is. It's dense. Yeah, it's still great. I loved it. Well, it's it's worth the price of admission for Willem Dafoe and that seagull scene alone. It really was. And, you know, it was a double feature with Dr. Sleep. That was interesting. Oh, and how's that? Dr. Sleep? Yeah. Yeah, well, I wrote a view. Oh, I haven't read it yet. I, I didn't read it initially because I thought I was going to go see it. And then a podcast I listened to talked about it. And uh, I just don't really have 
any inclination to do so anymore. I'm not even a huge fan of The Shining. I like it fine. I think it would... It's an interesting viewing experience. And I think it's worthwhile just for kind of the the oddity of how it like mutates Stephen King and uh, Stanley Kubrick together. Uh-huh. Because it just steals or lifts, not steals, because it's technically a sequel, but it lifts imagery right out of The Shining. Yeah. And then it's also very much a, at some parts it feels like a B-tier Stephen King movie. In other parts it feels like a character study that's kind of getting to the point where it's well-made, and then other parts it's ripping off The uh, the Shining mm. without adding thing, adding anything substantial. But is it a better Shining ripoff than Ready Player One? Oh, yes. Okay, that's good to hear at least. Yeah, it was, it was. while I do think, while I do, like I'm saying it's ripping off Stephen King, or not Stephen, it's ripping off Stanley Kubrick, it was respectful of like the way okay. it, it wasn't anything like tacky. Okay, well that's good. In the way it was doing it. But I do think they could have added something different. Still not going to see it, but that's good. Yeah, anyway. I'm just, I'm, I'm ruining the day that the movies that are coming out are going to start being eh, because I've had such a hot streak of really good movies over the past like month or two that any noticeable dip in quality, I'm going to be like, ugh, lamenting that late summer, late summer, early fall. I don't know if you, if you noticed on my, on my letterbox, you can see that I had watched at least one movie every day for the past month. And then I skipped the 16th. Uh, for two reasons, but one is that was the day after I had watched Parasite, and I, I sat down to to find something to watch, and then I, I just said to myself, none of these things can even come close to that experience, so why bother? <laughs> so I just didn't watch anything that day. I ruined the streak, just because everything felt inferior and unworthy of my time. Well, you know... Th- Making, you know, going through the top movies of this year, it's going to be a real, it's going to be a real uh, competition for what I think is the best of the year. There are, there are four solid contenders for me. It has been a great year. It has. At this current moment in time, do you know what I'm leaning towards the most? The last I saw of your, your lit, your letterboxed list. I did set it to private. Was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it's not anymore. Interesting. Pardon me. I haven't officially changed it, but if I'm being completely honest, when I look at all the movies that I came out of the theater with the strongest opinion of or feeling towards... I have a feeling of what it might be. Oh, it's Marriage Story. I think. That's what I thought. I don't know. If, well, that's the thing is I want to I wanna watch it again just to make sure because there's, there's, a, there's a festival mentality that goes to a lot of uh, that feeling. Sure. I've had it before with Brigsby Bear. I just want to make sure that it is something that stands on its own two feet outside of that festival setting. Because even when I saw other festival movies, I could understand, you know, the flaws. And I, don't, I couldn't think of anything in that movie that I didn't like. But we are getting besides the point because we're here to talk about a very important movie today. A very important movie. A very important movie. And that movie is Parasite. Now, we we briefly discussed this over text, but for... People who have not seen Parasite yet, it is currently the number one highest rated narrative feature movie on Letterboxd, which blows my mind. 
What did I say it was on uh, IMDb? It was like 20-something? 21, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Which, I mean, I understand there's a recency bias, and I obviously don't think it's the best narrative feature of all time. But it blows my mind because, A, it's like a foreign movie. And I know, obviously, there's a lot of foreign classics that are generally wider accepted, you know? Yeah. Widely accepted into more mainstream audiences, but I never would have expected it to be this one. <laughs> like, there, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian Tom Segura. He's a pretty decently popular comedian. Not, not familiar. Kind of kind of like a, a kind of a dad comedian. Not really, okay. but kind of a dad comedian. And I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and he posted a picture of the poster from Parasite saying, go see this movie. And I was just like, wow, this really is crossing over into the mainstream, unlike any foreign movie of the past decade, maybe. And I don't, I can't pinpoint why it is. Well, we'll get into that. So with IMDb, it was yesterday, uh, yesterday at three o'clock, it was at 21 Okay. I don't see it getting off of that list. I don't see it getting off either. Because his other movies are decently high, ratings-wise. Joker has moved down, too, so... Well, okay, yeah. The the recency bias is starting to kick down a notch. Well, you gotta, you gotta think about Joker for more than two minutes before you bump down some ratings. Not necessarily... It's a word I don't use often, because I feel it is often misused, but... The only thing that comes to my mind is pretentious with that movie. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Parasite. Yeah. All right, so I'm just going to let you start because I have a feeling you liked it a lot. I'm, I am really glad that we have made this a thing where we don't tell each other what we think. Yeah. Where we try not to as much as possible. Because uh, I, I have just been happily sitting on not writing it on letterboxd not saying anything i mean there's some things through like uh implied conversations we've had uh-huh. that i like it obviously uh well doesn't matter um parasite was everything i ever wanted from a theater experience and more <laughs> it is a fantastic theater experience that much is for certain. You know, I had watched the trailer. Oh, I know you have. All three of them. I had watched all three trailers multiple times every day for two months. I, now, how would you say it compares with your watching of the Uncut Gems trailer? Uh, it doesn't even compare. Okay. Nothing all comes... Right. I think the, if you were to lump all three trailers together, the only thing that I think I might have watched more on YouTube is the trailer for Burning. Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, I still watch that every once in a while, just to... Yeah, I don't know what it is, but... Oh, okay, well, quick side note. You know what's my most watched trailer by far? Was it The Lighthouse? No, but that was close. Oh. I watched... I still watch at least once a week the Under the Silver Lake trailer. Oh. I love that trailer so much. Really? Uh, but yeah, I do, but... Uh, I know you love the movie so much. Well, but... it was one of those... Okay, the way that you feel about Parasite, where you saw the trailer and you knew before you even saw the movie, this is going to be one of my favorite movies. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt about Under the Silver Lake. 
everything I wanted in a movie was in Under the Silver Lake, and I saw the trailer, and I was very excited. But the thing is, you waited a few months. I waited a year and a half. Here's the thing. It's so magical when you watch a trailer, and it delivers 100% of what you want. If anything, it hides so much. It does. Because I unfortunately... I don't know how much you knew about the movie before you went into it. I unfortunately knew from a few reviewers that there was an unexpected twist in the middle. Well, from the tra- the first trailer, yeah, it says that there's... You think it's one thing and that shifts to well, another. Yeah. I-, I went in knowing that, that I didn't know where it was going to go, but I never could have possibly predicted where it was going. It's impossible to predict what's <laughs> going to really happen. It really is. It is just... It's one of those rare movies where every little aspect of filmmaking is just firing on all cylinders. Everything about this movie. It was joyous to watch it. (laughs) And I get giddy just thinking about it. (laughs) Just, okay, so quick. I want to see if we have the same favorite moment in the movie. Okay. Because there's so many of them. There is, but there's one moment I consider my favorite. It might be one of my favorite movie moments ever. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying. The movie is just streaming by in my mind of like, I'm thinking of all the great stuff and I'm like, but there's more great stuff. And what am I yeah, not thinking well, that's, of? That's the thing. Okay. So maybe it's just the way that I um, saw it. But this one particular moment I saw and I, I did a single like weird clap and leaned forward and had a look on my face of... Fear, uh, uh, laughter, curiosity, every every fear, every emotion that could be uh, experienced by a human, I felt in one moment. And for me, that moment was the reveal of the quote-unquote ghost. Oh. (laughs) It was just... (laughs) Because that character is so weird. (laughs) Everything about him. The way he talks, the way he looks, the, the his whole existence, and we get to know him in just the weirdest circumstances. And Hasn't then, he played like a serial killer before I in, in South know. Korea? I feel like that's what he's just typecast as. I have no idea. But the fact that they were bringing back, because obviously they make a big point in the beginning of the movie when Jessica talks about the kids' past traumas. So I'm like, okay, where's this going? I'm thinking something crazy, and it is crazy, but... Just not at all what I was expecting. Just the way he looks at him. The way he looks at him <laughs> is so terrifying. It kind of... Did he have... Oh, my God. I tried to to figure it out. Um, did he have, like... Was there something up with his, his eyes? Like, I felt like there were googly eyes or something, or, like, he's opening know. them really just, wide? They were just buggy. And it was... Well, because that's what I, got me. I feel like... It, you know, eyes in general are kind of the most, they definitely have the capacity for displaying the most personality of any feature on the face. But there's just something about the way that guy looks that completely sold him being in this basement forever, however many years. Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. Let's just get that out of the way. Cause... We should, you should probably put a little something at the beginning of this saying Dude. it's a spoiler discussion. Because... There's no real way to talk about this movie without spoiling it, because it is... Hey, hey Chandler, uh-huh. could you do me a favor and just yeah. shout into your microphone, go see Parasite, and that'll be the opening. I'll put that in the beginning. Go see Parasite! I'm not going to shout. 
but I'll be louder. I'm sure. I'm sure it peaked, and that's perfect. Oh, it it peaked hard as far as audacity is concerned. But yeah, that guy, that guy. There's there's never a moment where I didn't believe that he had gone that crazy. Like obviously his actions are kind of insane, and I would you know if any I feel like with any other actor you would be kind of a little you'd be like okay the basement thing is definitely an excuse to get a crazy guy in this narrative, but nope he sells it so well, he is just so unsettling, and then they display him in the most unsettling way. I almost so with the the whole the eye thing with him uh, rising out of the basement. Um. It, I I think it's a could be a little reference to a French film, uh, uh, Les Diaboliques, uh-huh. The Devils, um, and in that there's a uh, a scene where a dead guy who's not really dead uh, has like fake eyes in. Oh God! That look very similar, and he rises out of a bathtub to scare someone. Oh, and and it it felt like a very similar kind of premise of like someone with like weird googly eyes rising out of something and someone getting scared petrified scared afterwards uh uh-huh. could just be a coincidence but it reminded me of that moment well it the is the movie by the way yeah well the devils have you also considered it could be a reference to the classic sci-fi film killers from space you know what it really could be <laughs> those little googly eye aliens they're great <laughs> horrible but yeah that that was the moment that i was just like whoa but um the the craziest part to me like i said where every part of this movie is like you know amazing uh the part that jumps out to me the most is the script because obviously you know a big part of the marketing push has been you don't know where it's going it takes a turn or whatever it's crazy because i think anyone who sees it can pinpoint the exact moment it takes that turn Oh, yes. And that's when the old housekeeper shows up. And I think you could ask every single person that goes into the movie not knowing, Uh like knowing there's a twist, but not knowing what the twist is, you could ask them, what do you think the twist is? Like five minutes before it happens, (laughs) what do you think is going to go wrong here? And no one would get it right. (laughs) They really wouldn't. It's so good at at obscuring what's going to happen. And yet it works perfectly. Like it's completely set up. No, you would definitely not be able to get that twist. And the the thing is, okay, so my favorite part of this entire movie, besides that one moment, I think from the moment that twist is revealed, like the next 20 or so minutes where it's just th- these two different families trying to hide from the third family, it it's 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 my favorite part in the movie, the, my favorite like sequence in the movie, and it might be like some of my favorite 20 minutes of any movie ever. I've just had the the biggest grin on my face since we started this discussion. And the more we talk about it and the more I think about it, I didn't, I wasn't like a reactionary and I didn't put, I know I told you I might, I didn't put Parasite on my favorite movies list, favorite movies of all time list. You, but you were thinking about it before it even went in. I, yeah, I was thinking about it. And then afterwards I was like, that was great. But I don't think it deserves to be on there. And, I, and over the course of this conversation, I think I'm, I think I'm getting ready to put it on there. It is just, <laughs> there really is not anything like it. There's not anything like it. There's, there's no major issues with it. 
there's no there's no stones left unturned. There are no underdeveloped ideas. There's no underdeveloped visuals. Everyone who's in it is great. I have one small, not even a complaint, but I think something they could have done a little better. Uh huh. But that's the only that's the only thing. And the thing is, so the whole thing, the ending, uh, is Mr. Kim, uh, is in the basement. Yeah. And his son is, you know, writing this emotional letter about how he he plans to get him out of there. Uh huh. And then it cuts back to him. And I felt that the the father son relationship could have been slightly more emphasized in the very beginning. Yeah. And that's it. That's the only thing I think that could have been better. They do have that moment in the gym. You know, yes. a little bonding moment. And I do think that's a great line where they, the father basically says, don't ever make a plan because when you make a plan, it doesn't turn out that way. And it ends with the son saying that he's making a plan to get his father out. I think this, this film is really about the, the benefits of proper planning. You gotta, you gotta make a good plan. Cause if you don't make a plan, uh, your family might die. <laughs> well... It, well, as long as we're talking issues, the only major issue I had, which isn't really that big, uh, the scene where the crazy guy in the basement comes out and slams the rock into the son's head. Mm. I think the emphasis on that scene and the brutality of it is deliberately meant to make you think that the son is dead. I kind of felt that the son surviving that, especially us showing that one scene, was kind of uh, kind of misleading in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like a surprise so much as a, a, a cheap subversion. But other than that, it was definitely a mo- moment in the theater where everyone just kind of cringed. Oh, I was going to ask you, because every both times I saw it, it was just a collective gasp from the audience. Okay, both times I saw it, uh, there, were, there were a few moments where the audience kind of went nuts. I'm just going to say this. Yeah. Best theater experience I've had in a long time. It's definitely one of the mine audience too. is just in tune with the film. They're yep. they're laughing and you're having a good time with other people enjoying a movie. Well, here's the thing about Parasite, especially, is that you know there's there's a few people in my showing of um, the Lighthouse that weren't all into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it. Well, no, not not sorry, not the Lighthouse. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, um, because you know the marketing makes it seem a certain way. And it kind of really isn't the way that it's marketed. But with movies like The Lighthouse and Parasite, there are elements that cannot be disguised. Like the black and white, you know, three aspect ratio of The Lighthouse. Yeah. People will see that in the trailer. And if you don't like black and white movies, you're not going to show up. So you have a very specific audience that already is pre-sold on the aesthetics that would be more inclined to accept certain parts of the movie that are a little more abstract. With Parasite as well, the fact that it is a Korean movie, it's all the trailers are in Korean, the fact that is sort of like a shield to most people that wouldn't go and seek out this movie. So everyone who was in the theater when I saw it both times were on board from the start. And that's the best theater, that is the best theater experience when you have no one who is actively fighting against the movie. Here's the thing, in my theater, the second time I went... Um... There were some people that during the trailers were being quite noisy, and I was getting a little worried. And there still was like a, a low murmur and like 
candy wrappers crinkling during like the opening uh, titles, and then and then it like quieted down. And I think it might not even be that we're getting to the point in its release where it's been out long enough that it's no longer just the people who were initially sold on Korean film, Bong Joon-ho, Palm d'Or. Yeah. Well, because now it has a huge, like, reputation. Yeah. Not only from, like, the Cannes performance, but now that it's hit wider audiences and everybody else is gushing over it, there's a, a lot more people going to see it. I can see this being a thing where it's in theaters for a bit to come specifically because of award season and it's going to get more buzz then even if it's just like for the oscar for best foreign film yeah it will continue to perform well oh yeah i uh, here's what i want to know because obviously last year roma had the double categories Mm -hmm. of foreign and best picture yeah i wonder if parasite's gonna be the same I hope it, I hope it gets I, nominated for Best Picture. Yes. I haven't seen too many foreign movies this year. A lot of the time when foreign movies are nominated, foreign movies don't come to the U.S. until much later. So I can't necessarily say that I, you know, there's any out there that are better or worse. But this is like, this is an, another level of good that it is like, it's hard to even call it really a foreign movie. Because I think a lot of what makes this movie so great and it's what is uh, helping it to respond or helping audiences to respond is that I feel like there's this weird stigma around foreign movies that they're a lot more internal with their conflict, mm. that they're a lot more um, heady, so to speak. But this movie is like, this is a thriller. It's Even just calling it a thriller seems... Like a cheap way of categorizing well, it's a comedy it because thriller. it is so many things. It is. It really that's is. That's the simplest way of describing it. It's it's a bit more, but it is that. Like that's the most concrete way of putting it in a genre terms. Well, yeah. Part of me, uh, I, there's a bunch of people that when I saw it uh, referred to it as like the darkest spinoff of Home Alone you can make. Because <laughs> there are some elements of like, you know, th- uh, that kind of humor. But like, I think the whole movie itself Despite being a foreign movie, and even if you go in with that stigma, the movie is thoroughly entertaining. Yeah. From pretty much the start. Well, I took my uh, my, my friend, uh, the other Jacob, who coincidentally has my same my name, and he's not uh, a film buff whatsoever. And oftentimes he comes over and I'm watching boring foreign films. Quote unquote boring. You know, some of them are boring, but I, I quite like that sometimes. But you get some experience yeah. out of it. And yeah. he comes over and it's just like, what are you watching? He's not into it whatsoever. And I, I took him, I, I mandatorily, I forced him to go uh, see it with me the second time I watched it on Sunday. And he loved it. So See, that's, that's the exact same thing I'm trying to do with my brother. Because my brother, my brother is not necessarily... Um, resistant to foreign movies. There's a few that I've shown him that he's really liked, but a lot of them, I feel like you kind of have to have a, a sort of background in, in filmmaking and film theory to appreciate a lot of works by like, you know, Bergman and stuff like that. Sure. 
Obviously, you can get something out of it, but you'll get a lot more knowing a lot more. But this is a movie that you can go in, even even if you hate subtitles, you can go into this movie and still think it's pretty great. It is the, I don't know if you know this, but it is now the highest grossing foreign language Palme d'Or winner of all time. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. What is the highest grossing Palme d'Or winner in general? I don't know. Okay. I, I am very excited. Pulp I Fiction, don't... maybe? Oh, that could, that's uh, just that a guess. Sense. I think Apocalypse yeah. Now also was Palme d'Or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's some big ones in there. It's it's one of those movies that it's been a while since there's been a movie like this that I just want to take everybody I know to go see it. So here's the thing with Korean cinema. And I talked a bit about this on Nick's podcast, Nothing with Nick yeah. Johnson. Uh, mm. Shout out. We, when I was on there, we talked a bit because we were anticipating this this movie. And I talked a bit about how South Korean cinema is the most currently the most accessible foreign market cinema it really in is. the world. Because the movies so. that are coming out of South Korea now, it's kind of like, you know how in the in the 60s and 70s you had all these films like The Godfather and The Graduate and uh -huh. these super critically acclaimed films that were also some of the highest grossing movies of the year where yeah. we that was those were the the decades that we we were hitting the sweet spot of critical acclaim and audience appeal that's that's where South Korea is at right now the the critically acclaimed stuff that's coming out of that country is some of the best is all the they're thrillers and horror films yeah. and incredibly audience audience friendly movies and it's really it's great to see that kind of stuff when a country can put put out that kind of movie oh yeah because you think of like some of the the best korean films like old boy or the handmaiden or any of bog any of bong jun ho's stuff they're not artsy films not by a I long shot so. there's a level of art no, no, no. To they them. are artfully made films yes, but they're not but you're right, artsy you're right. films they're not art house yeah. films in the traditional sense. Yeah. And this is this is like peak that. I agree. This is peak art, the art of cinema meeting audience appeal. And oh, part, well, what really appeals to me as far as South Korean movies go um, is that there is this really weird darkness to a lot of them. Like some of what I feel like the, the greatest hits of South Korea are like especially compared to the 60s and 70s run you were talking about are just a lot darker even in even in like peak 70s dirt grime you wouldn't have an ending like old boys ending no or a twist like old boys twist i don't know what it is about south korean culture maybe it's their history being under the the uh, nuclear gaze of north korea and the in the imminent threat of being blown up at a moment's notice but they have some dark obsessions yeah, I have yet to I need to watch more Korean movies and I won't I will admit that I haven't seen too many but the ones that I have seen I have yet to watch one that is normal of like that doesn't have something really dark at its core and yeah. I'm thinking of the, the Lee Chang Dong movie Poetry that's the closest I've gotten to like just a normal drama but even that is, like, at its core, got something dark and fishy going on underneath the surface. 
the I think the most normal one I've seen so far is this movie I told you about called like when he the, when he arrives or something like that, hmm. where it's literally just like an eighty minute movie about this film professor, this young film professor who goes back to his college town and just interacts with a bunch of people. But the the longer it goes on, the sadder it is. It just reminded me a lot of Eight and a Half, but with none of the fantastical elements. Mm. Like, Eight and a Half meets Inside Lewin Davis, because it's also black and white and also has a lot of snow and wind. I think you'd really like it. But yeah, there's definitely this weird, weird uh, obsession South Korea has with the dark, but I am very much here for uh, it. I'm, I'm here for it. I th- Well, I think one of the most interesting things about the movie also um, is definitely the design. I think the rich house is incredible. L- let me I let think, me buy that house. Let me just say that that's well, the, the, that it's it's weird because there's very few houses in movies, you know, like locations, buildings, and such that you you like explore the same way you do with this one. There's like, you know, I think there's a strong correlation between a good movie and a movie that takes the time to explore the location that it's set in. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, think about um, something like in, I don't know why this was the first thing that came to mind, like The Godfather. I'm thinking of the hospital sequence. And I, oh, yeah. I just, I can remember what that hospital looks like to an absurd yeah. degree. It's not even that in the film all that much, but it is it a really memorable isn't. location. I think there's a strong correlation between making your locations memorable and making them spatially recognizable as like you have a spatial awareness like when a film goes to the trouble of creating a strong sense of spatial awareness in its audience it's typically a good movie and this does it to a perfect degree yeah it's like it it, yeah it goes even further than the hospital because i could literally i i i know where stuff is in that house i could draw a floor plan for you I could, yeah, I know every part of that house. And it's the weird part is that it's very nice, but it's not necessarily the biggest house. But every room is is so prominently featured and well shot and well designed that it, it's it's just one of the best movie houses ever. And not even that, but the relation it has to their apartment. Mm-hmm. Because obviously both of them, one is definitely above ground, one's below ground. They both have this prominent um centerpiece being this giant window one of them the window is facing out towards the alley where we see drunkards piss on street signs the other one is this big window where you see the beautiful green grass and the trees behind it it's it's this sort of duality between the two locations um that i think definitely makes them both a lot more interesting so this this is a connection that I've seen other people make before, uh, but also uh, I thought a lot about it was uh, Akira Kurosawa's High and Low. Uh, uh, of like that film is all about the spatial difference between the rich and the poor. You know, you got Gondo's house up oh, on yeah. the hill, and then you got the the kidnapper's house down below, and kind of the slums and everything. They also have two very distinct halves. Yes, both are are half movies where this one is you know the first half is infiltrating the house and the second half is the the fallout well parasite definitely has a lot more connection between the two halves yeah. than high and low but yeah it's still a half movie yeah because as soon as that doorbell rings you've entered That's, into a new world <laughs> fun times are over 
Well, fun fun times are over fun for times, the characters. A different but shade of fun times. The audience is having fun. Yeah. I, I'm 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 practically speechless when I'm thinking about some parts of this movie. And one of the the things about how it's you know it's on the top of the the letterbox list it's quite high on the imdb list and the way that i think people should be thinking about that because you know there's there's probably going to be some backlash about that like oh well it's not that good and i'm like yes but those well, okay, lists the fact that it has jumped to the top narrative movie it's definitely going to have those people who go into it thinking oh well let's see the greatest movie of all time and then they're going to come out thinking okay that wasn't the greatest movie of all time so they'll immediately have a reactionary review. But I'm not going to say it's the great. It's not my favorite movie of all time. Well, but not mine either. Is it like a a pretty perfect movie? I mean, yeah, I think so. Well, the thing. OK, so the thing with those lists is you those are not they're not proclaiming that those are the best movies ever made. Yeah. What they're doing is they are saying these are the most likable movies ever made. And yes. the the higher a movie is on those lists, the more likely you are to like it when going into it. It has nothing to do with quality or anything, merely likability. Yeah. And with that understanding, you go into Parasite and, and don't think of it as like the greatest movie ever made. Uh-huh. Think of it as one of the most enjoyable movies ever made, because it most certainly is that. It really is. Um, I feel like a, a one part that we're failing to talk about is just how hilarious this movie is. It it's the funniest thing I've seen all year. <laughs> I haven't seen that many comedies, to be fair. But <laughs> I love. I quite enjoyed Booksmart. I also thought that was funny. I should watch Booksmart. Booksmart's great. It's also really well directed. But that's besides the point. One of the funniest parts in the whole movie, to me, besides the ghost, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, would be the the sort of the scene that's accompanied by the classic music when they're trying to frame the housekeeper the oh. look that song kang ho gives when he pulls that bloody <laughs> at, at then the wife the and trash. she's just like oh. <laughs> like she's gonna faint yes <laughs> uh, okay now here's my question who do you think has the best performance in this thing i i'm a biased song kang ho fan but i do think he steals the well, show obviously he's great but I think uh, let me pull up at least attempt some of these actors' names. Um, I'm not even gonna try. I'm just gonna refer to them as they are in the movie. As their names, yeah. I think the uh, the wife, Mrs. Park, did a great job. Oh, she's great. I also think that Jessica was amazing. She was all. She was That's a lot the thing of fun. Is that there's not a single bad performance. No, there's nothing it's wrong. Just fu- yeah. There's nothing wrong with the movie. No, there's literally there's some nothing things wrong you could you could wish it could have done a little better. Yeah, but nothing you can say. Oh, that was not good. Yeah, I I definitely now that you bring it up, it's a tie between the Song Kang Ho, the father, and Mrs. Park. <laughs> Mrs. Park was Mrs. the funniest Park. Was, Mrs. Park was so wonderfully ditzy <laughs> in a way that really was kind of absurd at points, but never went over the top. Well, the whole movie is partially absurd. It, um, well, it's very absurd. Okay, but also, what about the guy in the basement? Well, the guy, well, the guy in the basement, he's just <laughs> hes just being himself, I feel. He can just look at the camera normally, and he looks insane. 
every time there's a there's a stillness and a silentness to the room just the voice in my back at the back of my head just goes respect and then i hear him slam his head against the light (laughs) the way he eats the banana oh my god that's so weird it is he's like an anaconda just shoving (laughs) just swallowing his prey whole i know i said the funniest moment it's a tie between the ghost and Song Gang Ho pulling the tissue out of the trash. But also, can I just say how hilarious it was when the housekeeper got kicked down the stairs? <laughs> that's another. That's another part in the movie where the entire audience went, "Oh no!" <laughs> then I realized at that moment, okay, we're all laughing like children at, of this woman getting murdered. <laughs> In one of the most horribly brutal ways. <laughs> well, speaking... What? God damn it. I had like a train of thought of like, oh, that was really great. I wanted to talk to Chandler about that. And then it, it There's so much disappeared. It, though. it disappeared. I almost feel like this should be... We're, at this point, we're like... This is fine. It'll be a like, longer episode. Who cares? It'll be a longer Well, there's episode. also okay, a lot right. to cut out. A lot true. to cut out. That is true. But... The the wait one second. <sighs> yeah, it it's gone completely gone. <laughs> I okay, so I've seen it twice now, mm-hmm. and even the second time, the last like ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, the the birthday party, the birthday party towards the end, even when I already saw it, that part is just so horribly tense. It it really is, especially the. When Kevin goes down to the basement. Oh, and he drops the rock? That's when it begins. That, like, that's that when oh you just God. collective, like, you can't breathe until the ending of that sequence. It really, and just thinking about it now, I'm getting the chills because he drops the rock. And I'm so glad. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I am glad. Because my whole thing with jump scares is that when you're expecting them, they're not effective. Mm-hmm. And that whole time I was expecting a jump scare and it definitely would have been a good one. But the f- I love the fact that we just sort of see him loom over it because that itself is scary enough. Anything over that, it's sort of almost like overly scary. You could feel the like the terror in the audience when he's approaching the old housekeeper as she's just dead there. Yeah. And you see the the wire come over his head and it's not it's just it's like you don't he's your main character you love him you love kevin so much you don't want him to die and it's horrifying when you see that the wire come up because you know it's coming it's such great suspense but yeah that whole that whole sequence and then one of my the editing in this movie is impeccable and one of my favorite <laughs> you, cuts, every part of it is one of my favorite cuts is he kevin's running up the stairs and he gets caught and the the basement guy hits him in the head with the the rock uh-huh. and then it just cuts to outside to the lady singing opera and i don't know what like what works so well about that cut in my brain but just the jarringness of that like Going from sheer horror to like this fancy garden party and this woman singing. It was great. Agreed. The editing 
is fantastic. And I, I also, I want to point out that this, um, it does have another aspect going for it that has, you know, is one of the necessities to be a Jacob Kaufman film. And it is some pretty amazing shots of food. Specifically, that little uh, rice dish they make as the family is coming home for the camping trip. That looked good. The cake. It looked amazing. The, the, the trauma cake looked great. <laughs> oh, the trauma cake. And the blood hitting the trauma cake. Yes, I agree. Uh, yeah. This It has everything. It truly has everything. Let me mention something that I don't think was getting enough love. Because as, as soon as I watched it, I went onto YouTube and the internet and, and looked at every review possible. Uh-huh. And the one thing I don't think is getting enough love is I think that the the soundtrack is one of the best of the year. Soundtrack? The the music, oh, the score. The score is good, yes. I, um, I, no, no, no. It's not good. It's great. I, well, that's I've the listened thing, to I'm... it three times. and Really? Yeah. Interesting. Listen to it. I it, definitely... it it's really... I'll have to listen to it because I judge a I judge a score on how well it takes me back into the movie when I listen to it outside of the movie, and I definitely remember the actual like string sections being very effective, really good use of it, especially during the the you know the the peach poisoning scene and the, the drums um, like the drum roll in the uh, in that scene too. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh... the the one thing the one. The two best parts of the soundtrack for me were the the opening, the kind of simple little piano tune, and one of the things I noticed with the soundtrack is that the it begins with just piano, uh-huh. and then the closer you get to the the park residence, uh-huh. the more it comes on in with like these kind of these bells and these strings and kind of it morphs into that eventually. So I didn't even notice that and. It, it's just the the score is fun to to listen to, and then the other one was, um, the soundtrack. It's called the Hellgate, which mm-hmm. is when they go into the basement for the first time, and oh, that's God. a really effective piece of music. It is because that itself, I think, the tensest moment in the movie for me is definitely when the son goes to the basement towards the end. But that moment when the housekeeper shows up again, the the actual halfway point. That is where I think everyone in the audience at the same time is like, wait, what? Because at that point, you I don't know if there's a single person, like you said, who legitimately could have figured out where it was going. I just remember the first time watching when you go down in the basement with the mother and you see her uh-huh. pushing against the, the, the thing, the, the door, the false door, and it's hilarious. It's just like it's her, just, but it's so desperate too. It is, and then there's something that is panicking about that. Like it's it's both panicking and funny at the same time. Like it's morphing into that the tone shift, uh-huh. and then you you they open it up and they, she opens the door, and yeah. there's just I remember this kind of palpable sense of oh my god I don't know what is happening. <laughs> I love it, and I'm also terrified. Yeah. Like, what is down there? And then she screams, uh, I think she screams, honey, or something. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Well, yeah, that's the thing is that that's why this movie is so great. Another, uh, another reason is that this movie does so many different tones and, and genres, and you would think on paper that it sounds terrible, 
just just the way that he's going to all these different places but he he goes to all these different places so well and so organically that like this movie is simultaneously the funniest and scariest movie i've seen all year and i think that alone is a is a feat in itself but i i i'm not gonna say it's the greatest narrative feature of all time but i think it definitely deserves the hype it's getting it deserves the hype and i think it for me personally I think it deserves to be on that list. Oh, definitely deserves to be on that list. It's just a matter of where. Because I'm thinking about it, and I don't... Like, I think about other movies, and I'm like, that's good and all, but Parasite. And I can see the argument for it being one of the best ever made. I don't... It, it's really hard to decide best movie ever made. I feel like history has to have its way with it before you can make that assumption um but i don't see any way that this movie can possibly age poorly i was trying to think about it last night like i was trying to get to bed and i was just thinking was i being too like was i getting on the the bong train too much i just kept thinking about it like what could possibly be wrong with it i don't I mean, there's obviously things that people can cite as weaker aspects of it, but I don't think he did anything wrong. Yeah, and I'm not sure if any of it could age poorly. Oh, no. Because this thing, like, all the things that do age a movie, like technology, uh, uh, culture references, stuff like that. Sexism. Slang, sexism. There's not really any of that here. All of the stuff like that is vague enough to where it can work, just as a... Not only is like a relic of its time, but just you know, uh, would work in the future. Uh, the it also is foreign, so it has a bit of particularly for American audiences, it has a bit of distance. Because like when I watch a foreign like last year at Marion Bad, it doesn't seem dated. It's just it's already different, so it can't you don't notice its datedness at all. I don't know how it can possibly say at this point. You know, one of the best movies ever made. I can definitely say it deserves the top space of it deserves to run with the big dogs as far as South Korean films go. And that much is apparent from the, uh, just from the first year alone. It's well, operating you are on the a big same fan level. of memories of murder. I am that's still your favorite. Yeah. I still like memories of murder a little bit more, but my, I, I've, I got a huge bias cause I'm a huge true crime fan. And I honestly think that memories of murder is quite possibly the best true crime slash serial killer movie ever made. And, you know, as much as I love Parasite, how many drop kicks does Parasite have? Yeah. There's no drop kicks. No, but it is funnier. It is definitely funnier. In, in different ways. Drop kicks are funny, but... I will never forget just the the reaction I had to just the first Memories of Murder drop kick, where Song Kang-ho just kicks that guy down the grassy hill. I feel like Bong Joon-ho had the opportunity a few times to do a drop oh, definitely. kick. definitely. Like, when they're uh, the guy peeing outside their oh, house, oh, hundred percent. That's what I was waiting for. He was an easy it. drop kick. Target. I was waiting for the drop kick, or even well, definitely wouldn't work in that scene. But I, part of me, did want to see that housekeeper get drop kicked down the stairs. <laughs> that would have added just another layer of layer of comedy to that entirely horrible sequence. You mean wonderful sequence? Well, yeah, wonderfully just terrible. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of, of, of South Korean films, um, speaking from a purely objective standpoint, I do think this is one of 
you know, the certainly one of the best of the year and quite quite pro- quite probably one of the best ever made. I do still have a great affection for Burning and that's still my Bur- favorite South Korean. Yeah. Film. Burning definitely is its own experience. That's what I love so much about these South Korean movies is that a lot of them they're very different from each other. They come from a sa- the same twisted place. They have a yeah. lot of the same comedic sensibilities, but they're all very different. And Burning, like Burning, Parasite, Old Boy, those are all movies. Well, maybe not so much Old Boy, but Parasite and Burning are definitely movies that there really is nothing else like them. And I am thankful for that. Both that they are they are singularly great in their own way, and that nothing else can compare. I figured we'd just end it right there. Yeah, that sounds good. That's that's why I stopped talking because I felt like it was a great point to end it. Do you want me to clap or something to signify the end? Please clap. <laughs> that's a good peek. <laughs> uh, oh, I also have to start making a letterbox list for um, ranking the movies we've watched for this podcast. Oh yeah, I started mine. I know you started yours. You probably have made five lists since then. I'm finally ready to make my Bong Joon-ho ranked list as well. Uh, I made a... I didn't make the Bong Joon-ho ranked, but I made a, a, Lee, a Lee Chang Dong ranked last night. Haven't you only seen Burning in Secret Sunshine? Or have you seen I've seen... One? Well, I saw another one of his last night. So I've seen Burning, Poetry, Secret Sunshine, and Peppermint Candy. How's Peppermint Candy? It's fine... I, I don't care for it. I know Secret Sunshine has a good amount of uh, fans. I need to watch it again. I think I'm going to really like it a lot more than I did. Is anything he's made like Burning? No. Okay. Well, to be fair, nothing. Yes and no. Like, like yeah. he, he, all of his films have this methodical pacing to them. Uh-huh. Uh, but Burning is certainly in a league of its own when it comes to that kind of film. True. He comes closest with the uh, poetry, but poetry is kind of a more subdued drama with background elements of mystery. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. I mean, I, I part of the reason that I took all those days off of work is because there's a lot of movies I've been wanting to watch. Um, one of them was to rewatch Burning, but the more and more I realize it, the more I'm realizing that. The movies that I picked to watch for these days off are just the longest movies. I have An Elephant Sitting Still, Fanny and Alexander, uh, Burning. I wanted to watch Quaidon. I'm just well, Quaidon has the the benefit of it's broken up into sections. So oh, it does it. Yeah, ha- yeah. It's oh, I might just start that today then. It's four short films in it. Oh, okay. I might just start that sooner then. And one of them is absurdly longer than the other one. Is it so the bit... White Snow Lady or whatever? No, it's Hoichi the Earless. Uh, earless, which is the, I love that. the third. And how would you like story. that movie? Quaidon is. I I very much respect Quaidon for <laughs> its its artistry, and I I like it a lot. Yeah, I think it's an influence. Uh, it has been an influence on my my style of filmmaking throughout college. It. it Kind of, it's it's lessened um, on my ranking of films yeah. over the uh, the years. I still like it quite a bit. It's a good time. Uh, it is. It, it looks like fun. I love Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's uh, passion up for that movie. 
Alright, so should we start talking about Soy Cuba? Uh, where does where does one begin with I communist propaganda? Is it communist propaganda? It oh it, it is. I I couldn't tell where their angle was. I don't know not a lot. Uh, well, okay, why, why don't we start off by saying what it is? Obviously, you seem to have a better idea of what it is than I do, so why don't you go ahead and introduce it? Okay. Soy Cuba is a movie made by a Russian Soviet director of the the about the Cuban Revolution, and uh, it's kind of an anthology of a few different people's lives and character stories uh, in kind of this broad arc from the the excesses of uh, capitalist Havana, Cuba to the, the kind of poverty of Cuba and the people rising up to overthrow the dictatorship of uh, Batista. Oh, okay. Okay, okay so... I feel like maybe the movie is more, um, you get more out of it with a little bit of historical context going in. I know next to nothing about Cuban history. I assume that this was an anti, well, is it an anti-fascist movie at least? Because I don't know what the government well, was like at the time of this movie being made. It, it's an anti, it was, it was a, Batista was a dictator. He Okay came to power in a military coup when it was clear he was going to lose the election and was semi-supported by the, the U.S. government yeah. and was very much a capitalist and uh, an autocratic regime. Okay, so at the time... Not necessarily of... totalitarianism or anything like yeah. that or like strictly capitalism. Not really fitting directly into one of those holes, yeah. but... It wasn't. It wasn't a good place. So at the time, was Cuba a democratic nation? It was. It was a republic from like nine, the early nineteen hundreds uh. until the nineteen forties when uh, Batista came into power, and then it was. It's one of those things where it's like it's still technically. Everyone's votes and all that kind of thing, but one person's in charge. Okay. And that's what it was at the time of the movie. Okay. Uh, and this movie was... Oh, no. Well, uh, at the time... Well, the time of making the movie? Yeah. That was after the revolution. That was after Fidel Castro overthrew Batista's government and turned it into a communist dictatorship. Okay, so the movie supports Castro. Yes. Okay. Because Did I, you not get that? Well, I mean, I, I couldn't tell a lot. I definitely got the sense that it was a political protest movie. Um, I wasn't sure. Because obviously they're talking about revolutions and overthrowing people, but I can't tell. I didn't know going in what kind of government they were looking to throw over and what they were going to replace it with. That much is not in the movie, as far as I can tell. And definitely that first story with the wealthy English-speaking businessman definitely seemed like some sort of... I guess that did seem anti-capitalist. Well, it gets more overt the longer the runtime goes. Yeah. Because it, it's kind of... It's less ideological. It's less about the, the revolution uh -huh. in the beginning and more about like the class divide yeah. in 
which definitely in Cuba. a class divide the the class division as depicted in those early stories can really be representative of a number of different uh government systems and maybe that's why i wasn't picking up on the communist stuff and now in retrospect looking at the last few i can see that um, i mean we've even in america in like the past 10 years have had protests and stuff about class uh, like income disparity between the rich and the poor you know then a whole 99 percent or yeah one percent kind of thing um so it's not necessarily like it doesn't start overtly yeah communist but it does have it's like sowing the seeds of class descent. well i'll admit the first few stories definitely had me hooked and i was sort of losing it by the end yeah so what is your general opinion of soy cuba i think it's I think it's consistently well shot. Um, I like that sort of camera style they go for. It reminds me a lot of Terrence Malick. Um, mm. I, I especially think the first two or three are really well shot. Uh, but towards the end, it definitely seems like it goes a little more overt in its uh, intentions uh, as far as being a cinematic protest. The first few, I mean, obviously they're tragic stories rooted in the government uh, wronging these people, um, mm-hmm. but there was a there was an ounce of subtlety to it all. But the last story, in particular, seemed very uh, upfront with what it was trying to say, and I also found it because of that to be the least interesting. Just the guy, his kid dies after being bombed, and then he joins a revolution and. I think even if the stories themselves aren't consistent as far as quality goes, I think the presentation throughout is pretty fantastic. I'm not a communist, by the way. <laughs> Just throwing that You know, I, if we're on that subject, I might as well also say I am also not a communist. <laughs> now that we've gotten that out of the way, I thought – very similar to you. I thought the, the quality kind of descended towards the end yeah. of the, the actual narrative. And I felt it kind of peaked in kind of the beginning middle. Yeah. And uh, with with that being said, it was all rather like last year at Marion Bad. It was all gorgeously shot. Loved the uh, the cinematic aesthetics on display. But I wasn't as nearly enthralled by the narrative for the entire runtime. Yeah, I I definitely found some stories more interesting than others. The first one, definitely, uh, I love the scenes in the dance club, whatever you want to call it. I think those are super well shot. Um, I love the little shanty town, those little stepping stones over the disgusting water. The the whole shanty town, what it reminded yeah. me of was something like a set out of like Doctor Caligari. Yeah, something very expressionist very... with these kind of harsh lines and shadows and. Yeah. It's very cool. Especially, very good uh, design. Especially when they're entering the shanty town yeah, with all of that night. really good shadows and stuff like that. Oh, the, the the shack or wherever she lives in looks straight out of Dr. Caligari. I mean, those walls were exaggeratedly slanted. Um, I kind of, hmm. it's one of those stories that I could kind of tell where it was going. It just seemed like a lot of these stories were more about the message than how they delivered the message. Yeah, there was um, some really – there's some good storytelling in there, but most of it was – like you said, it was about the message, not the narrative itself. 
Yeah. I found the one with the old man in the farm to be pretty good. That was my favorite. Uh, I quite enjoy that old man's performance. I loved how... I love the imagery of the fire. All I can think of was, God, how many sugar canes or whatever stand-in wheat they used to burn all this. This must have been fun to shoot. They had a famine the next year because of because uh, <laughs> of filming. Uh, Not really. Yeah. How many? The, how many of these things are there? Four, four or five. So there's the the opening with the sequence. girl, and the, his, her husband. Well. The opening sequence, oh. like the credits, oh, yes. and then you you hear, I think it's like the voice of Cuba, Soy Cuba, that voiceover narration, yeah, yeah, yeah. as the camera's floating down the river, yeah. uh, which is a great shot. And then it goes a lot to of the- those sh- are opening shots are great. Then it goes to the, the prostitute and the club. Yeah. Uh, and then But she's not a prostitute, though. E- well- Well, I mean, she definitely had sex for money, but I didn't get the sense that she was a prostitute. Well, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a hard thing to hide from your husband. He looked pretty shocked by the whole Well, ordeal. they were engaged, I think. Oh. Well, you know, gotta pay for the wedding somehow. If uh, he was her husband, she, he would have uh, stayed the night at her place. I quite enjoyed his songs about oranges. I did like that. <laughs> he's, 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 uh, he's got a passion for fruit that I quite enjoy. See, you seem to like the, the scenes in the club. and I like the way they were shot. I wasn't the biggest fan of this kind of opening uh-huh. sequence. I thought it was good, and yeah. I liked it more than kind of some of the ending stuff. But the the whole song in the beginning of the oh what what was it? It was um, I took it with the rooftop thing. No, no, after that, that shot's oh, okay. good. Um, yeah, no, oh, I know what you're talking about with that that guy who that crooner type crazy guy. love. Yes. What I, I, that's not the name of the song, but that's yeah, yeah. They yeah. keep repeating "Crazy Love" in the song. It just kind of went on. I found that pretty interesting. And went on. Yeah, it and did. I was like, I get the point. Also, can I just say the ADR is terrible? Oh, that that was the next thing. It was absolute. <laughs> it was really bad. The three quote unquote Americans. You know, you've got yeah the sunglass uh, sexist sunglass guy, uh-huh. uh, and then. Uh, one of them looked like Boris Yeltsin. Oh, communist Ray Fines. Oh yeah, yeah. I call them Diet Lenin, but communist <laughs> Ray Fines works too. And the the dubbing was it was hilariously so bad. bad. It was terrible. It, it it screamed like, "Oh, we're not Russian. We are totally Russian." Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that it's not even not even the dubbing so much as just the quality of the actual. Um, the quality of the voices that were doing the dubbing, um, the the whole time I was like, okay, uh, well, this looks like it was made in the 40s. Maybe I'll give it a pass. And then I looked at it was like early 60s. I'm like, okay, you have no excuse. That well, is, I, their excuse I was, about, was communism was, and they didn't have access to the best equipment. Well, yeah, that's the thing, though, is that I don't know how much of this ADR can excuse because I don't know just how high tech the tech was. Um or, you know, what they had access to in that country. But at the same time, I'm looking at all these other aspects of the design where I'm like, okay, this camera works amazing. You have a, you obviously have a big budget because you have, like, so many people. Oh, yeah. And you have the budgets to set these fields on fire and throw these cars around. So I'm like, okay, you have obviously a good amount of money. Why wasn't any of that money put towards decent audio? And that was that was a huge part that bothered me 
more so in the beginning. I can't tell if it just got better throughout or if I just sort of tuned it out towards the end. But, oh, God. Especially in those dance club scenes. It's well, there's, terrible. There's less people speaking English in the second That's half. true. That is so true. So there's not... They're using some of the actual... The, the, the actor's lines... And not- now I know there was um, obviously this this movie is uh, very famous for its one take. Yeah. Um, I thought it was for the one, one that takes, was on the- There's a few. Well, there's a few, and that's why uh, I couldn't remember which one it was that this one was popular for. And I was shocked to see towards the end that it was the it was the casket scene. Yeah. Because that one's good. A lot of these one takes are really good. But I, I really, really enjoyed- I really like the top of the hotel. Yeah, one. so did I. I enjoyed that one more than the other one. It starts out almost one... like a music video. It does with the, the 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 band members like jumping in the camera, like swinging yeah. back and forth. And it looked nice. It was a lot of fun. And the song was good. And the way that it goes down the side of the hotel and then into the pool. It's it's great. It was a lot of I fun. Quite. And and the music sort of submerges as the camera submerges. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is awesome. You know, never got better after that. But I was like, okay, this part's cool. And I. The casket scene's cool, too. That whole shot and then the casket scene was very emblematic of one of the things that I had a problem with the cinematography. Yeah. Was it all looks great and it's all inventive. They're great yeah. shots. That's not in question here. But what I don't find necessarily as compelling is I don't think that the the shot selection matched the story. No. Uh, what Like, the narrative never demanded a change in how it was shot. It was all shot the same way. And there was particularly like, you, you see like the club sequence, like that's mm-hmm. one like sm- smooth, fluid camera take. And it's all very nice and pretty. And then the, the funeral scene is the same kind of smooth, fluid camera take. And there, there's no differentiation between the two in the yeah. cinematic language. Yeah, that well, that's another thing about this movie is that I couldn't help but shake the notion of is that it's it's half okay, it's one third movie, one third communist propaganda, and maybe you can bunch those into one half, and then one third just Cuba travel brochure, mm. and I feel like a lot of those big long takes that sort of just breathe in the entirety of the city or whatever you're looking at sort of fed into that aspect of the the movie. Where it's just like, we're not really concerned with showing you anything that's important to the story so much as we are, you know, inclined to show you the world. And since this movie definitely, it kind of feels like a love slash hate letter to Cuba, I couldn't help but think that those parts were a little disingenuous in their, uh, in what they were going for. Yeah, well, one of the first lines that the the narrator says uh, is that... uh, Cuba is one of the uh, that Columbus said Cuba was one of the most beautiful places ever and I couldn't help but think of one it was Columbus and two this is a Russian filmmaker proclaiming Cuba is the most beautiful place on earth and I all I can think about is how shitty Russia is in comparison <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean ugh. Ohio makes Russia look like the Bahamas. Like, I, I bet you were glad to take a vacation and make a movie in Cuba. Did he write it, too, or did he just I don't direct know. it? Because this is the guy who made The Cranes Are Flying, isn't he? I think so. 
That's Russian, yeah. It is Russian. I don't know if it's him. I knew his name sounded familiar. Yeah. That, is, and the okay. other one I know is Letter Never Sent. Okay. Yeah. Which is which is one of, like, three movies in the Criterion Collection, which their their base price is $30, not $40. Into why? I don't know. Well, because it doesn't have any bonus features. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I th- Definitely the last two of these were kind of the slower ones. Yeah, I quite liked the the student Enrique, his whole story. His little arc was pretty cool. I it, enjoyed that. I felt it was overt and kind of a little ham-fisted, of course. A little melodramatic here and there. I mean, the whole thing is a bit melodramatic here and there. A little, uh, yeah. I, I appreciated that story. And then the last one was when was I kind of dropped off. Yeah. And the biggest problem with the last one was, you know, the the story is the guy gets his home indiscriminately bombed. And yeah, never showed a reason as to why. And uh, just hope they're bombing today. Then he just leaves his kids and wife yep. in the middle of nowhere to join. That just got bombed. Yeah, they don't have a home or anything, and then yep. he goes join a re- to join a revolution. And I like, I get like for for communists, like that's the revolution is everything. But as someone watching a narrative, I I can't help but think, you you've lost me right then and there. Well, that's the worst part is is because Enrique's little um, uh, vignette definitely is the most complete story. It's got a very clear beginning, middle, and end. And then you go to this, which almost seems like a a worse version of uh, Enrique's story. Kind of like an afterthought. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, obviously this thing isn't necessarily the most subtle movie on the planet. But that last story, they throw all subtlety away. I mean, that shot of our... Our uh, unnamed horrible father walking, marching with the other soldiers, smiling and holding the gun. I'm like, this is this is straight up military propaganda. You're not even hiding it at this point. And I, I preferred it when you were at least hiding it. Well, I did appreciate at the very least that there was a gradual build up to it. You know, yeah. at the beginning, it's it's about Cuba and it's about the people of Cuba. And then it slowly ramps up the the political undertones until the very end when it's not no longer uh, subverse, uh, subversive, but it's over. It's, it's it's becoming desperate in its goals. Yeah, and you know, again, very well shot. Still propagandist, commu- uh, propagandist. Oh god, still communist propaganda. Just, I yeah, I don't know what else to say about this because there's not necessarily a, a greater theme that I can tackle because they state it right for you. The only thing you can really appreciate this thing for is the formal elements, of which most of them are amazing. And then you hear it. I think I think I would have preferred a bit more kind of cautious selection of camera shots and editing to be used for more like pinpointing of making the the filmmaking techniques reflect the story, the narrative a bit more. Because uh, it you mentioned Terrence Malick, and Terrence Malick also does that thing where he just has his style. Yeah, and it doesn't always. It's just the same, and it doesn't always reflect the changing nature of the narrative, and it gets old because of that. Sometimes, still this good. Would be an interesting movie to pair with his new one. Yeah, whatever it's called. I don't know. A hidden life. Yeah, I've never seen a Terrence Malick movie. Really? 
No. I've been wanting to see The Tree of Life, but I feel like it's just going to depress me. Yeah, watch it. No, it's not depressing. Is it is it life-affirming, or is it, like, sort of, eh, there's no point. It all ends up like this. Oh, it's most certainly life-affirming. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Okay, maybe we'll watch it then. Uh, I'd be curious to see what you think. Uh, a lot of, I really, all the big critics I follow love that movie. Like, absolutely love that movie. Well, the other thing about the technical aspect is, I don't know if you noticed, but they uh, they used infrared film. I did not know that, because I don't know what that is. Well, could you tell, like, at certain times, it was, like, during the day, but the, the sky the was black. The clouds were black? Okay, yeah. And I then was wondering the, that, actually. The sugar cane and the palm trees were, like, bone white. Personally, I loved that look. Like, the starkness of that really? looked amazing. Yeah. I, I guess the only times it really bothered me were when the clouds were black, because it didn't even look like the clouds were black. It just looked like part of the film print was burnt. Hmm. Because I did wonder, so, okay, explain to me infrared as somebody who does not know a lot about the technical aspects. Because the whole time I was wondering with a lot of these one-take shots, you know, going in and out of buildings, I was wondering how they, how you light scenes like that. Is that what the infrared camera is for? Does it just let in more light? Okay. No. So, the infrared was just on certain scenes. I think it was typically for kind of the outdoor scenes, mostly the, the old man and maybe the ending one. The, the kind of um, the long takes and lighting that was just, you know, most of them were during the day and outside. Uh-huh. They use normal film for those, I'm pretty sure. And I think I heard that, like, the camera was strapped to the camera operator. Uh-huh. And then the camera operator was wearing a harness and the harness was, like, attached and then detached from different cranes and pulleys and, and okay. things. And that's how they managed some of those those long takes. Because especially the ones where they're following Enrique through the streets and the buildings, I was wondering how, because I know, you know, cameras back then were a little bigger. I was wondering how they got such fluid movement, but it was really great. There's a lot to appreciate on a technical level here. Lots of really just uh, well shot, well staged communist propaganda. (laughs) Well, I'd also say that at least... Not so much towards the end, but I enjoyed this as kind of like a culture trip to Cuba. You're right. And like I said, it's the Trevor brochure aspect that I found definitely charming at first. Oh, yeah. Well, the very first shot after the credits is this super wide angle shot of the the ocean and the, the cliffs with the, the palm trees and the giant cross. I don't know if you remember that. But the only thing I could think of was like, this is directly out of some kind of travel vlog. Yeah. Well, and it was great. Uh, those, it was a great shot. I love it. Those credit shots were great. Those just... The hovering? Yeah. I'm pretty sure those were infrared, too. too. I'm not sure. Oh, interesting. Off the top of my head. All right, now here, here's the big question. The big question we always have to ask. Does this deserve to be on the list? <sighs> let, me, let me check my notes. I'm going to go as far as to say no, because I feel like this, is a, this would be a lot more interesting... As the the final the final activity in a Cuban history museum than an actual film, it's kind of like obviously a pretty apt comparison is Triumph of the Will, where yeah. it's propaganda, but a lot of the visual aspects are definitely influential. I think this has a lot more going for it than Triumph of the Will does. But I do feel like it is more a piece of history than a piece of film. 
Well, Triumph, as long as we're bringing it up, Triumph of the Will is dreadful to watch. It is. <laughs> and not because of the Nazis. It really is. <laughs> in a similar kind of way, it's like you're, you're five minutes in and you're like, I get the point. What else are you going to do? And then they don't do anything new. There's actually this movie that I saw. Quick side note. I took a Nazi class in college. Oh, good. And there was actually a, a German noir film that I saw that was made by Nazis. And it was basically a German noir about this German detective looking for some sort of Jewish conspirators. And I'm just now realizing that I watched it, and this would be an interesting collection to my letterbox. And now I have to remember what the name of the movie was. It was literally just like a classic Hollywood film made. And it was pretty well shot, too. A classic Hollywood film made in the perspective of Nazis. <laughs> that, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> Simply delightful. It sounds great. Soy Cuba is... I would recommend this for people that are interested in Cuban history. Definitely history buffs. Like full, I would recommend this as a film. It's a good are, movie. I don't know how many people are into Cuban history to that extent. Yeah. Probably not that many, but I did just have to make that little, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exception. Um, or the little note about that. I'm just going to go on to say is I'm not really sure. Beyond that, what the the application of this film is in a broader sense, and in that regard, I don't think it deserves to be on this list, because while it is well shot and innovative, it doesn't have the uh, kind of audience appeal beyond beyond that to to warrant it being one of the best ever made. I don't think it satisfies that other half of the equation. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, well, it's better than last year at Marion Bat, I'll say that much. Really? I think so, yes. Because I'd, I'd put it the other way around. They're kind of similar in that way, where we both were very praising the technical aspects, but kind of lukewarm. Well, I was a lot more infuriated at last year at Marion Bad. I was actually, I was, I would say close to captivated by the first 45 minutes of this movie. I was really excited for where it would go. Yeah, if the ending wasn't here, I'd probably like it better. But I think last year at Marion Bad is, uh, I put it above Soy Cuba. Probably something else needs to, I mean, if, if the BFI is looking for a film about classism, look no further than Parasite. I was about to say, this is a great pairing of movies. It is. An unintentional it's classism great time. pairing. Yeah. This is going to be, <laughs> we're already breaking the mold of this podcast. This is a Parasite episode with a little bit of Soy Cuba thrown in. I love it. Because it really is, there's only so much you can say about Soy Cuba. Well, I, I had a lot of notes, but I'm looking at them like, eh, I don't care. Yeah. All right, so uh, what's next? The The BFI film for next week is the 1973 film by Nicholas Rogue, Don't Look Now. Oh, okay. I have never seen this. You haven't. That's interesting. Have yeah, I think you have. I have. I've seen it recently. I bought the Criterion last sale. This is the the first movie on this list that you have seen and I haven't. Interesting. Because we watched Les Samurai and I had seen that, but you hadn't seen it. And then we both hadn't seen Last Year at Marion Bad or Soy And you Cuba. saw Soy Cuba, I assume? No, I've never seen this before. Oh, it says on Letterboxd you, re- you rewatched it. Did you I watch watched it twice? it twice. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, I watched it yesterday before we started recording, Why? just to write down. I wanted to see if, just to reaffirm some of my suspicions and kind of pay more attention to the cinematography. Yeah. 
Well, oddly enough, I've been thinking about um, this. I've been thinking about Don't Look Now for a while. Because this is a movie that I saw. I was very excited because I know Mark Kermode speaks very highly of it. Um, this is right around the time where I started getting more into horror. I love Donald Sutherland. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of this this movie that I think about a lot. And I'm curious to go back to it. That's good. So I'm now I'm now excited. I'm excited for the next episode. I'm not even go into the special features. I'll be I I will be the expert on this next movie. Please do. I've been the expert on everything else. You have. <laughs> You've done a decent amount of research. If you are like Chandler and you have the Criterion Collection Blu-ray or DVD, I'm assuming uh, you can watch it there. Or for those of us not so lucky to have that. You can stream it on Canopy or Shutter. Oh, it's on Shutter. Yeah, and for rent on Amazon Prime, of course. Of course, goes without saying. I'm sure YouTube has it too. I know we we briefly discussed watching something else that was new and talking about it next week. I'm not sure if we settled on anything, so we'll we'll just leave it a mystery, I suppose. I'm sure whatever it is, it will go wonderfully with Don't Look Now. It'll pair like wine. And cheese. <laughs>